Have you had a normal week this week? I wonder, how's your week been? Has it been normal? Um, maybe not, because it is, of course, bank holiday weekend. So met a few people. They're here today. They're away from home for a few days, enjoying London. Uh, there will probably be others who are like Joe from two years ago, um, just recently arrived in London, but staying. Um, maybe you've just uprooted your life to come here as a student. Uh, maybe here from Kuala Lumpur to do a master's. Maybe here for a new job. Uh, first week in London from Hull and you've got new colleagues and new security pass and new housemates. Um, maybe this is a sort of um, one more try Sunday for you. Um, one more go at going to church starting September, hoping that this year it will stick. Or maybe even um, London is a life that you never hoped to have. Uh, maybe you're kind of starting again after a divorce or a bereavement or a job loss. Um, or maybe just in your normal London life this weekend, is it a weekend you set aside to plan? I'm told some people, organised people do that. Um, maybe the August bank holiday weekend is when you set it aside to try and work out the family finances. And uh, you're doing the maths, looking at London rent and 80% energy price rises. And I wonder if every way you do the maths, it still doesn't add up. Um, How has your week been? Have you had a normal week? We're in the, the book of Revelation at the end of this series. And people think of the book of Revelation as the weird one in the Bible, don't they? It's sort of someone said to me, it's like the, the hippie aunt at the family wedding who you really don't want to get stuck talking to all afternoon. When really this book, it is one of the most practical, helpful books for the normal, struggling Christian, living his or her normal Christian life. There are weird bits in it because in the book, Jesus rips open the veil uh, that hides us most of the time from the kind of universe we really live in. And the ideas here, they are big. So the language is poetic and symbolic. And today we have um, a laundry that uses blood as the detergent. And we have a lamb that offers to be a shepherd. So we've got some quite weird things uh, in the verses. But this book, it exists because Jesus decided to write to normal Christians to help us keep going in the normality of what it feels like to follow him. So just flip back to chapter 1, verse 9, and I'll show you that. First chapter in the book, 1 verse 9. John says, I, John, this is verse 9, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. And he was on the island of Patmos. He's actually a prisoner because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And on this day, he hears a voice, sees a vision, which tells him to write this and send it to seven churches listed in verse 11. Seven churches, seven letters, and an extended vision of reality in 3D and Technicolor because in Jesus we have suffering and a kingdom and patient endurance. That is a a normal week. And sometimes that will have the intensity of the kind of um, northern Nigeria situation we were hearing about, but 
everywhere, for all of us, this will be the normal Christian life. And so come back to chapter 7, because in chapter 7, Jesus shows us the end, uh, the end of this creation. See, sometimes being a Christian feels great. I hope you really enjoyed being here this morning. I hope you've loved being with God's people and singing his praises. But often, normally, it feels like being alone and under pressure and clinging on by your fingertips. And in that environment, it would be easy to think that failure is the inevitable thing, so that actually it would be better to give up now. Um, I um, I started a dissertation during my degree, and my tutor called me in and gave me the best piece of advice the tutor ever gave me. I think actually it may be the only piece of advice the tutor ever gave me, but he called me in, and he said, and we were only, it was only a couple of weeks into the dissertation, but he said this, he said, Charlie, we both know you're not going to complete this dissertation. Stop now and save yourself the trouble. Um, very good advice. I should say he wasn't, um, it was an optional dissertation. He wasn't kicking me off the course. I didn't fail. Um, he was just giving me advice. Good advice. We both know you're not going to complete. Stop now and save yourself the trouble. Would that be good advice from Jesus to a Christian? Bank holiday weekend, August 2022, and um, London is difficult. Church can be hard, opposition at work can be fierce. So what would Jesus say to us, Uh, whoever you are, Sunita, Mark, uh, we both know you're not going to complete the Christian life. Why not just stop now and save yourself the trouble? So what Jesus does is he shows us the end. So we're on page 1, 2, 3, 8. Revelation 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. So that's the end. At the end, there is a crowd. A great multitude. And there's so many that counting them is impossible. And they come from every possible part of the world. Every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language. And there they are at the end, standing before God's throne and before the Lamb. Here are the people who completed the Christian life. And they're they're not just a, a weary handful but a crowd that no one could count. They're not just a certain type of person. People with a head start or people with an easy life or people who lived somewhere where there was social pressure to stay Christian. No, they're from everywhere. They went through the trouble. They did not stop. And they endured all the way to the end. And what I want to do this morning is just unpack the truth of verse 9. So we're going to have three headings, um, and we're just going to um, show us the same thing we've seen all summer, which is that what God has promised in the Old Testament is what he does in the New. It's the same plan A, plan A, plan A, all the way through. There's no plan B. So first of all, God saves. God saves. So verse 9, 
And there they are, this huge crowd around the throne. John saw that throne in chapter 4 with flashing colours and thunder and lightning. And now he looks out in front of it and there is a vast space full of people. And it's like in the vision, he's got um, the same kind of zoom control you've got on your phone. Because he can zoom out to see how many people there are, too many to count. But he can also zoom in and see where these people are from and see how different they are from each other. So just imagine what he would see. I wanted to do a little group of English people in, in ties and something like that. And John is wondering... What on earth are they wearing around their neck? That looks uncomfortable. Um, I don't know how he'd have handled. I don't know if there's sort of piercings and tattoos from the 21st century, and he's surprised by them. There's people from all over the world, every color, every shape, every kind of clothes and habits and food. Surely they brought food. Surely there is jollof rice uh, there in front of the throne. And every language. This is a, a noisy vision. Um, I guess the, the zooming also has a kind of volume control and subtitles. He would need subtitles. There are 7,100 languages in the world today. Um, and I guess a load more in the time since John wrote this that there have been. At the end of everything, there is a crowd. So many from everywhere. And they all made it to the end. So... You can, I can as well. And did he see you in that vision? That's the question, isn't it? Um, This is the end destination. So many people make it. So don't give up. Don't give up. Ours in Jesus is suffering and a kingdom, this throne, and patient endurance. So keep going. Endure all of the normal weeks, week after week, until we get to that crowd. Um, when I was a, a teenager, I had a, a friend called Zoe who was um, good at life. And one of the things that Zoe was good at was one of the most awkward features of being a, a teenage Christian, which it's something I think has now gone. Um, there's quite a lot of young people just back from Contagious, the uh, summer holiday that lots of them went on, and some leaders, they're the ones looking exhausted around the room who've just been with our teenagers for a week. I don't think they did this. I hope this is now gone. But um, we had to sign each other's Bibles at the end of the week. Did you ever have to do that? It was awful. Um, You were sort of under pressure to write something thoughtful and profound and spiritual and holy when really, you know, it was the last day you were trying to find your socks. That was all you were really interested in. And and you probably couldn't really remember the name of the person that you were writing about. Um, But Zoe, and I've still got the Bible, not this one, but um, she turned to the, the title page and just under where it says the Holy Bible, she wrote a kind of review. She wrote, it's a good book. I've read to the end and we win. Point one. Uh, I was going to call point one God wins, but um, the actual language in verse 10 is saves. Uh, God saves. But it's a big concept that includes winning. God, he doesn't just win. He wins us. He saves us. The the great crowd, they're shouting in all of their languages. They're shouting, verse 10, salvation, it belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the, um, the throne room party agree. They shout, verse 12, amen, as in that is true. Salvation belongs to God. And his rescue, his victory 
That shows us he has all of the praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength. It's his and for how long? Forever and ever. It's all his. God has won. And that is the message of the end of all things. So what we're doing this morning, we're we're looking back across all of time and all of Bible time, looking back to this crazy plan of God's to overcome sin and death and Satan. And in particular, back to the, the crazy promise he made to Abraham, to Abraham that he would have descendants that no one would be able to count. And that God would bless all of the nations through Abraham. Totally crazy promise to make to a childless old man. To make to a a single ethnic group in one tiny corner of this enormous planet. To make to a defeated group of 11 terrified apostles with their master uh, killed on the cross to make to a a scattered group of Christians around the Mediterranean at the time that John was shown this vision. A crazy promise to make. But God wins. And we have far less excuse not to believe this than uh, than John did. At John's time, um, John, I think, would have been able to count all of the Christians alive at the time. It would have been difficult. He'd have had to get the emperor to let him out of prison. He'd have had to travel around the Mediterranean. He'd have had to do a lot of counting, but he would have counted a few tens of thousands of Christians. But today, and today we commissioned Joe to go to Nigeria, where in Nigeria it is estimated there are 82.3 million Christians in one country. Actually, they're not all there because some of them are here. It's great. So send, send more. But there are 82.3 million plus a few who are here. We know that the crazy promise is coming true. Um, church decline, that's a, a thing in the UK. It's a thing in older established denominations. But the opposite is happening all around the world. The last century has seen this promise coming true. Uh, to secular eyes, John's um, promise, John's vision at the time, it would have looked impossible. And for hundreds of years after that, it would have seemed deeply, deeply unlikely. But today, this is just news coverage. You look around the room here today, people drawn together from so many different nations uh, because of Jesus, together for him, with him, all together. And on that day, a multitude no one would count from every nation and tribe and people and language gathered around the throne. And that gathering is important because in the book of Revelation, there is another kind of gathering. In the, in the technicolored vision stuff, a lot of the vision is about this world and all of its hostility to God. And uh, in the vision, there are cities, and there are beasts, and there is a dragon. And they have a a kind of global unity as well. Um, The city of Babylon is the focus, um, standing for Rome in the ancient world, but could easily stand for London or New York or any of the other great cities that you're from here today. It looks like all of the world gathers to Babylon, gathers to Rome, to share 
in their hatred of Jesus, um, to unite in rebellion against God, and to make all of our normal weeks into difficult weeks for his people. And the book of Revelation, it says, yes, that, that is what it looks like. But let me show you behind the veil just for a second. Let me show you the throne in heaven. Let me show you the future. God saves. God wins. People like you and me make it to the end. The point is, see you there. I'll see you there. On the day when we shout in verse 10, we shout verse 10 in English maybe, in Yoruba maybe, in Tagalog, in Mandarin, in Ukrainian, salvation belongs to the one on the throne. Okay, well, point two, um, we've given away already, but point two is a people from all nations. The, the big point in verse nine is that there are lots of them and they're from everywhere. So the question is, do you want to be there? Um, in chapter six, we see that God's wrath is coming on the whole world. And in verse 17, the question is, who can withstand it? And the answer is chapter seven. These people. These people can withstand the wrath of God. And do you want to be one of them? Do you want to be there? And the whole world is there, but this isn't um, sort of smudging down pluralism. This isn't actually what your HR department is trying to create at work. I remember um, in my working life being at a meeting of London University chaplains. And uh, we were having a discussion about diversity. I was there as a guest. Um, they were there discussing their workplaces. And um, they were trying to include everything in their chaplaincies, uh, every kind of diversity, including every religion they were trying to include. So we were having this discussion about how they were doing that. And um, they were struggling a bit with that because London is so diverse. So they, one of them said, well, it was just difficult. When the Satanists asked if they could use our chapel, we were like, oh, I wasn't sure what to say. And had a sort of puzzle. But then we thought, no, it's okay, isn't it? So we said yes. And so that was the sort of tone of the room. Um, and um, and I was there sort of as a guest and sort of taking it all in. But someone else who's also in the room today was there as a part-time chaplain. And I think the only other um, Bible believer in the room. And um, Andrew let them speak for a bit. Certainly he was the only one prepared to speak out. He said, actually, we've been studying Ephesians in our church recently. And the end goal of the world isn't diversity. It is unity. It's every nation, certainly, Every nation united under Jesus as head. Um, and the room, the room was so shocked and angry that um, one of them near me snorted like a pig. They were so shocked at what Andrew had said. It was, I don't know what they did to you afterwards, but it was, um, this is better than diversity, isn't it? Here is everyone from every nation. It's the diversity that every HR department wishes they could impose, but they're not gathered to sort of vaguely tolerate each other. They're not gathered to assert their difference and their unique personal identity. They are gathered around a throne. That's the symbol in Revelation that the world hates. God and the Lamb, they are on the throne. And this is the gathering of all those who say, they are submitted to Jesus first. That's the first thing. And we are English or Nigerian or Chinese or Russian or black or white second because we are united around Jesus. We don't just tolerate each other. We are together in Jesus and we share in the suffering, the kingdom 
and the patient endurance together. And every one of them in that crowd, they have the robes and the palm branches of the pure, holy, glorious people of God. And look at verse 14. So verse 13 asks who they are. John says, I don't know, you know. And we learn two things about them in verse 14. We learn that 100% of them have suffered and that 100% of them have been washed clean of their sins. Verse 14. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are with God. Um, The great tribulation, that's an idea taken from the book of Daniel, but um, applied here, I think, to the entire period of time from Jesus' resurrection to his return. Um, Different Christians would take different views on that. Um, Whatever you think on that, this group are here to represent all of us all Christians in all time. And washed clean, that is in a way the big Bible idea. Only the clean can stand anywhere near God. And then here is our super weird idea, this laundry. It takes all of our shame and our guilt and it throws it in the washing machine and covers it in blood. Um, that's never been the case in any of the you know, washing powder adverts I've washed, watched. TV, it's always the other way around, isn't it? Blood is the problem. Um, But these are the people who are delivered by Jesus. They believed in him. They turned to him and his death as the place to take away everything wrong with them. 100% of this crowd, they have suffered. And 100% of this crowd have sinned. They're the ones humble enough to say the opposite of Babylon. Babylon says sin is great, says come to Babylon and be free. Come to London and be free. This group, they say sin is real. It is who they are, but they are ashamed and they want to be washed. They come to Jesus and he takes their sin in his death and forgives them. And then they keep going week after normal week, trusting him. The the book of Revelation, it starts with seven letters that are personal messages from Jesus to churches in seven different cities. London isn't one of them, in case you're wondering. Uh, Feel offended by that. Uh, There are seven places in modern Turkey, near the island where John was in prison. But they're chosen to represent all of us. Seven is the number of completeness. So London and All Souls and Jos and modern Turkey and everywhere um, included in these messages that Jesus writes to the church. And a bank holiday project could be a really good project to read those seven letters. Chapter 2, chapter 3 of Revelation. Um, Read them and ask about their normal week in their situation. You'll see they face internal temptation. Uh, Often um, that's something we're particularly aware of in the summer after we've been on holiday, internal temptation. They face terrible false teaching and confusion. They face external suffering, in particular external persecution, with loss of reputation and loss of livelihood and even loss of life. And Jesus in the letters, he says, I know where you live. I know. I know how hard it is. He knows about the temptation and the opposition. He knows about what they say about you. He knows. And he says, hold on. Hold on to the end. Keep going. And then you will walk with me, he says, 
dressed in these white robes. See, the pressure to give up can be almost overwhelming, can't it? Particularly, actually, if we see other people who have given up. One um, repeated note in those letters is about people who have uh, given up Christian things but haven't actually left the church. And it's about whether the church should tolerate them. Those who say, well, you can just join in with the religion of Babylon and in particular the sex life of Babylon. Well, chapter 7 says, come and look at the end. Come and see the vast crowd who did not give up. Maybe you know someone who has given up as a Christian and maybe that really discouraged you. So my friend Zoe, I'm good at life, good at being a Christian, signed my Bible, uh, came to London quite a few years ago now, um, like maybe some here this room, and she gave up being a Christian. Um, should we give up as well? Well, Jesus says, look at the crowd. Um, pray for my friend Zoe. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have 800 people from this morning praying for Zoe? I'm still hoping that she will be there on that last day. But don't confuse one person, however good at life, with a crowd from all over the world that no one could count. God saves. God saves a people from every nation. So don't stop. Keep going because of what it will be like to be with him, which is our third point quite briefly to be with him around his throne. Um, And verses 15 to 17, they're like a Bible overview just in themselves. It's everything that God ever promised brought together. So our first reading, thank you, Peter, was Isaiah 49. Um, That's here. We've also got Psalm 23 and Micah and Isaiah 25 and Isaiah 4 and Psalm 121 and Proverbs 9 and John 4 and John 7. And this is about the people who come to be with God which in some ways has been our theme of the summer, in the the summer gatherings, knowing God. It's not about um, getting out of London to be just somewhere else on your own. It's not about a set of ideas or a set of outcomes. Fundamentally, it is about being with God before his throne, day and night, never kicked out at closing time. And he will shelter them with his presence which maybe we just remember enough of the heat wave to get what John is talking about from his Mediterranean island. Um, What will protect me from the sun beating down? God will shelter me with his presence. And we get the the second super weird idea here. We get the lamb at the centre of the throne, verse 17. He will be their shepherd. Very strange idea. Not just like a big grown-up sheep leading some other sheep. It's a lamb, a baby sheep. Uh, trying to be the shepherd. Why? Because Jesus, he is the lion and the lamb in Revelation. So he's the king on the throne. Um, All the way through this series, we've heard about Jesus, the king in David's line, the king who enters his city, the king who uh, tells them he is God's son and he owns the vineyard. We've heard about the king who rose from death, all very lion. But we've also heard about the lamb. Uh, Lambs are what they sacrificed at Passover and all the other times. Lambs are for suffering. And the great big surprising laundry that washes us clean, it runs on lamb's blood. So he leads us, the one who leads us through all of our normal weeks, week after week of being misunderstood because we're with him, 
of following him into opposition, of trying to follow him under temptation, of following Jesus through all the normal weeks. We follow a lamb who suffered himself. He's not asking us to do anything that he didn't endure patiently himself. And we follow a lamb who has won salvation from every sinful thought and word and deed, who says, come with me to the place, verse 17, where God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And that's the last idea. The tears are gone because death is gone, which was last week, I think. Jesus defeated death. The new creation is totally remade with all the enemies defeated, including death. So that kind personal saviour on the throne, he reaches down as each Christian crawls over the finish line on our fingertips, if that's what you do when you crawl, and he wipes away the tears from our eyes. So verse 9 is the future. Um, You may well feel it is very hard, but we are not in a stop now situation because we know that millions and billions of people do make it do complete the patient endurance from every people and nation and tribe and language. And Jesus says, see you there. See you there. 